I want us just to lift our hands up. And we are going to do what that song said. I want you, just, you don't have to scream it, but you need to say it. We prophesy revival in the name of Jesus Christ. We prophesy revival in the name of Jesus Christ. We prophesy revival in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes. Revival. Father, we cry out for the revival of a city. We cry out for the revival of a province. And we cry out for the revival of a nation. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you touch the nation of Canada. In Jesus' name. Can we say amen? Amen. I want Kim Wheeler to come up real quick. How many of us love Kim? Hopefully that's all of us. He's got a testimony he's going to share with us. Good morning. It's always so nice to be back, you know, with family. Praise God, you know, we come and we go. And there's always a few new faces we see. And so praise the Lord. We just got back yesterday. But I want to share a real quick testimony of the goodness of God. And uh, I promise I'll be quick there. Yeah, it's always dangerous. You have me the way he says that. But, you know, actually, first, I woke up this morning, and this is what I heard the Holy Spirit say. He says, what are you going to declare today? What is today going to be like? And, 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 you know, I was thinking, oh, okay, what am I going to declare? And out of my spirit, say, we missed Thanksgiving last weekend, right? You know, we, didn't, we missed it. So, but out of my spirit just came, says, today I'm going to declare festivities, merriment, and thanksgiving to the Lord and to the Spirit of God because He is, leads us and guides us into all the truth. And, and you know, and then we sang this song, the Holy Spirit, you know. So we can never take for granted the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And that's part of the testimony. We had a team from Michigan just in Guatemala in the last couple of weeks. And they're from a church that is 100 years old. And it's the first time that church has ever sent anybody out from their church to do mission work. First time. So they came with fear and trepidation. And they were coming in, and they were all old guys, like, kind of like me, you know. And about my, our age, you know. So that can be good or bad. Because sometimes if they're set in their ways, but we don't change anything for anybody. We just do what the Holy Spirit tells us. So we're going out and doing water filters. That's the main focus of their trip. So that means going door to door. It's, it's, it's every Christian's worst nightmare in North America. And so I don't know how they're going to react, but, but the, the first day we go out, the first door we knock on for, with my little group, there's break into three different teams, we led a whole family of eight to the Lord Jesus. Amen. And over the course of five days of going door to door, we led about 15 entire families to the Lord Jesus Christ. 15 entire families in a community. We knocked on 60 homes, and about 25% of them were Christian already, and the rest were, were either agnostic or non-Christian at all, or a lot of them were very, you know, Catholic as well. And out of that, so 50% of the homes that weren't already believers received Jesus as the Lord into that home. The team comes back after all these, and we always have debriefings, and this is their words in, you know, kind of in a nutshell. We are blown away. And, and the testimony is, we went to that first door not knowing what to do, and I, some of them were saying, I was so scared. 
I didn't want to say anything. I wanted to be brave. But I was thinking, what good is going to come out of this? You know, what have I got to share? What kind of testimony can I share to these people? I don't know them knocking on a door. They're just going to, you know, ignore us. And they says, when we saw how Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit, used our words and our testimony and how they received it, crying and bawling and, and, and receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit and receiving Jesus as Lord. I says, that whole community at the last day started to come out and bring others. And it was just, it, it's a revival in this little village because of these people going door to door. And they went out initially, what's going to happen? But, you know, let me, I just, the, the testimony is, what good will happen when we go start to testify of the goodness of God? In Spruce Grove, revival. Amen? Revival. And then the la- one part, too, and this is how God works. We, and because it's more than just about salvation. We went to one door because there's so many that are sick in those communities and ill. But we had a, a, a pediatric nurse with us. And, and she was wonderful. And so she's looking for sick kids. <laughs> the, the first day they get there, there's a kid who's a baby, nine months old, dying. It was, they, they had such bad infection. And, they, you know, they weren't going to say anything, but, but they asked, is there anyone that needs prayer? Is there anyone that is sick? And, and the mom said, well, my baby. And, of course, they said, we went to the doctor. He gave us these prescriptions. But, you know, they, haven't got, they have no money to go buy prescriptions. And they were very expensive prescriptions. Even for us, they were, they're expensive. But when they met them, we saved that baby's life. And it, how, what a coincidence that the pediatric nurse just happened to be at that house, at that day, at that time. And when, they, when we helped them out, that whole family, because of the love of Christ in helping them and praying over that baby and, re, and buying the medications, that family received Jesus because of, of our goodness. So this is the challenge. Let's go out and share of the goodness of God in this place. I wanted to touch on what Kim said. You know, we read in Corinthians, right, when Paul is preaching, he actually says he uses simple words because it wasn't a matter of the words. It was the Holy Spirit that was within him. And it's a reminder to all of us that the Holy Spirit is within each and every one of us, that he will guide us He will lead us in everything we do. It may not be door-to-door ministry, but he's going to show us what it looks like in our nation. And we believe in the nation of Canada that we're going to see salvation. Amen? Amen? We're going to see it. We believe it. We know it. Well, I love starting the service with Scripture. Amen? So I want to read out of Psalms. Psalms 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of the wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, Most High. As we go into worship, this is that moment where we make that shift, right? We do not allow the things of this world to hold us down, but we actually give our attention to the one who can change everything. So as we go into worship, let's do that. Let's give him our full attention because he deserves it. Amen? So, Father, guide us, lead us. We know your Holy Spirit is here, and we choose to honor and worship you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship our King. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you reign. I thank you that 
that through everything you are on the throne. I thank you that you have your eye on us, on every single one of us, and, and, and through everything, God, you are bigger, you reign, you are supreme, and God, we bless you this morning. So throughout this week, we've been celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And what that means is we set up a temporary shelter to remember how we came out of slavery and the Hebrews in the wilderness were in temporary shelters until they got to the promised land. And so this week we've been eating and worshiping and praying and even sleeping in this temporary shelter outside to humble ourselves before the Lord because He dwells with us. It's in remembrance that He tabernacles with us. And so, Lord, I see that in this house, Lord, that You dwell in our hearts, Lord. You tabernacle with us, Lord. And You raise us up, Lord, to be worshipers and prayer warriors and intercessors, Lord, before Your throne. And so, Lord, we say we worship You. We praise Your name. We lift You on high, Lord. Because you are the one we look to, Lord. You are the one we raise our eyes to, Lord. You are the one we gaze upon, O Lord Jesus. Holy Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you're taking us even higher and higher and higher, Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's invite Jim to Nodder. Yeah, we learned something here on the... You know, how many of you remember a couple of weeks ago, Cam spoke on the five-fold ministry? Well, let me tell you, did I have a reminder this past week when I, uh, I lost my thumb for a week? So I, I fell last week and I, I hurt myself. I was in a cast. For those of you who saw me last Sunday, my, you know, my arm was casted. And, and uh, so praise the Lord, first of all. The cast came off Friday. They re-X-rayed and it's not broken. Yes! So that's very good news, but I still can't actually use it very much. And I have to tell you, you know, we use the hand as an illustration often when we talk about the fivefold ministry, right? Did you do that, Cam? You didn't. Oh, okay. So I'm gonna. Hey, look, I'm still a kids' church pastor at heart. Okay, so that that's how this how many of after i said how many of you were ever in kids church here when we were yeah praise the lord okay now so when we think of fivefold ministry in the house these are the gifts that god gave to the church specifically in order that we would be able to come to full maturity okay so the first gift he talked about is the gift of teacher and we always use our little pinky finger to think about teacher because when you hold up your hand this way, that's the foundation. That's the bedrock. That's so that, you know, the teaching, the word of God. Okay, so we use that. Now, the next finger up we use to describe the pastor because that's the love finger, right? You know, that's the one your ring goes on. It's the to me, you know. There we go. Yeah, see, there, that's, that's that pastoring one. 
And then the middle finger we use as the evangelist because it goes out in front. All right? That's what, I'm holding my hand sideways, okay? And that middle finger goes out in front, okay? So that, that's the evangelist. This is just help you to remember. Of course, then we have that pointer finger. That's the prophet, right? And they, they point stuff out. But the one ministry that touches on all of the others is the apostolic, is the apostle. So your thumb represents for you what the apostolic ministry does. And i got to tell you this week, yeah, I'll, I'll get there, but you'll have to hold the mic for me to do it. Okay. So here, I actually want everybody to do a little object lesson with me. All right. Okay. So here we go. I want you to hold out your, eh, your left hand because <laughs> I, I can do it that way best. Now, I want you to take your right pointer finger, put it against your left hand, and just curl your pinky over it. Just the pinky. Now, pull down. It comes right out of there, right? Okay, let's put it back. Let's do your pinky and your fourth finger, okay? Now pull. Hmm. Not a whole lot better. Let's, uh, let's grab it with three fingers, okay? Now pull. Hmm. Okay, just the four fingers there. Now, be a little careful, people. I don't want people elbowing each other and their neighbors. Oh, but if you pull, what's happening? Okay, it's a lot harder. Let me tell you what. Fold it in there. Put your thumb over it. Grab it tight. Pull down. It's a lot harder. That's not coming out easy, okay? The apostolic ministry is the thing that holds everything together. And as I said, I had this object lesson reminder to me this week when I didn't have a thumb and I was in a cast and you can't open it. I, you know, I have a, a little Synthroid pill I have to take every morning. I couldn't open a pill bottle. It wasn't doable. You know, yeah, trying to yeah, unscrew something. Um, hold it. You know, if you don't have that thumb operating that thumb that makes everything else cooperate, because the thumb cooperates. It causes everything to cooperate together. If you don't have that working, functioning well, guess what? <laughs> Stuff doesn't work so well. So there you go. That is a little bit for free. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, <clears throat> in my life, I have been on, as we all are, but a, a, a I've been on a very specific journey. Um, you know, Pastor Mark used me a bit as an object lesson about four or five weeks ago where we talked about the fact that I grew up in a Christian home. I, uh, I came to the Lord and, and actually asked Jesus to be my Savior, to live within me at five years of age. Um, <clears throat> I became filled with the Spirit as a... I guess probably grade six, grade seven age kid. And in um, my whole life, <clears throat> excuse me, I have been what I would have called good. I never rebelled against my parents. I, um, you know, only got in very, very minor trouble with the law. <laughs> 
I, I used to drive too fast, certainly, and then I used to climb on things. And <clears throat> anyway, some of the things I used to climb, I, I have been pulled off of something. And yeah, anyway, <clears throat> nevertheless, <clears throat> I would have justified that as not intentionally causing anybody any trouble. Um, suffice to say, my whole life, I've wanted to serve the Lord. And I'm so thankful for the heritage of godly parents, godly grandparents. I, I don't know how many generations back in my family people were praying and believing God and trusting in Jesus. But it is amazing, and it is such a, 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 a heritage that I am so thankful for, okay? But... Feel like it's only in the last couple of years that I'm 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 starting to understand a little bit, just a little bit, about the heart of God for His people. Because you know what being good does to you, especially when you know it. Wow, it makes you judgmental. It's amazing. I knew who were the good Christians and who, who was sort of not up to my standard. I tried not to talk that way because I kind of thought it didn't sound very good. But let me tell you, in my heart, I knew. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that person, well, you know, yeah. Just watch, stuff gets tough, and look what they do. Totally missing the, just the, the blackness in my heart in regards to that, in, in regards really almost more than anything else to God's people. Uh, Non-Christians, I didn't judge that way because I, I didn't expect them to behave up to my standards. But my judgmentalism, my, my, my putting things on people, and you know, it's funny because I knew the word of God. I read about the Pharisees. Boy, those guys, what jerks. Putting all these laws on people that they can't even live up to, and you know, <laughs> you know, and, and you didn't see myself there at all. And yet, I have to tell you, I began to recognize I don't understand this thing about family and oneness. Um, in the last little while, you know, as we've as a church, you know, have, have walked with uh, Watchmen for the Nations, and Pastor Mark looks at Gideon Chu and calls him his spiritual father. And he's, he's given, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to repeat uh, a little example that Mark gave us because, because it, it actually hit me just as hard as it hit Pastor Mark, okay? So Mark and Gideon are standing in a lineup at immigration going into some country or other, and it's a long line. And I don't know how many of you have ever traveled with Pastor Mark. <laughs> like me, Mark does not like lineups. Um, Kim's probably smiling. Um, and so you, you, you see this long lineup, and Mark and Gideon are standing there, and it's sort of inching along, and they're going to be in this line for a while. And then, there's people now even behind them in the line, but they're still a long way. And somebody comes and opens a new line 
and peeling off from just a couple people behind them, everybody heads for this new line, and right there, they're right at the front of the line now. I mean, they're, they're at the front of the line, and Mark says, and Gideon and I are still, like, you can just barely see the wicket from here, you know? And, they say, and he's looking over, and Gideon says, oh, how lovely for them. And Mark goes, what planet are you from? <laughs> and I could just see in my heart, that, wait, he's, he actually loves those people. He doesn't know them even. He's, and he wasn't making it up. His heart was happy for them. Look at that. They were looking at having to wait for 25 minutes, and now they don't have to. What about me? <laughs> And, I, 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 and, and in that, I realized, oh, my goodness, my heart, still, it's all about me. And I, and I started to ask God, what, what do you want from your church? What are you looking for in, in your family? And, and I, I, I have actually preached here on unity. I found notes. <laughs> didn't look at them, but the title said unity, so I know I preach here on unity. And, and I thought, unity, do, do I even know what that is then? Like, that's not just agreeing on stuff. Um, we were just in, in um, Prince George a couple weeks ago at a, at a little regional gathering, and one of the prime organizers of it is a gentleman named Peter Ziemer. And Peter made the comment, he said, even unity isn't really it. We want oneness. He said, now the difference between unity and oneness, he says, uh, it was described to me this way. He said, unity is like you've got a bowl and all the potatoes are in it. Oneness is mashed potatoes. And I thought, okay. And then everybody was, no. <laughs> For those of you who are younger than me, that didn't make any sense. Okay. So I'm going to read to you all of John 17. You're going to get a whole chapter here. And I'm going to try really hard to read it through from beginning to end without jumping off at 17 places because there are lots of places to jump off from here. But I want us to just get this sort of into our spirits up front. And, and I'm, I'm also going to apologize a little bit. As the Lord was giving me some some insight into things, this thing turned into probably at least three sermons. So I'm only actually probably going to get to whet your appetite today. We're, we're not going to get to any kind of resolution. We probably won't even get to the application of what does it mean for us to do. And you know, I always love to have application. I'm o I, I probably won't even get there today. So, Chris, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to, you know, have to see if the Lord says to go that way. We're going to have to do this again. But I'll start with John 17. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. What? Yes, I am. <clears throat> Jesus spoke these words. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I got to set the scene first. This is not taking off. This is not getting started yet. That's different. It's different. Uh, okay. 
So what's just happened here? Well, what's just happened at this point is that Jesus and his disciples have had the Last Supper together. And Jesus is, is now, they're about to head to the garden where he's going to pray through the night and get arrested and he's going to the cross. Okay. He knows it. He knows this is his last night before he goes into the nastiness of his mock fake trial and, and ends up being brutally abused and hung on a cross to die. So he knows he's at the end of his earthly ministry here. And he's going to pray. And so just I, I want you to understand the weight of this. This is his final sum up of everything I'm about. Okay? So we, we have that picture. This is not, this is not, you know, the, the Lord's Prayer is phenomenal. And he, you know, teach us how to pray. Okay? Like this. That's not what this is. This is his final summation of his life here on earth and what matters. Okay? So we have, we have the picture. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you, for I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one. As we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Sanctified means set apart. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love, which you love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. Okay. I could probably sit down. The oneness between the Father and the Son is the same oneness that he wants us to enter into. But if we all enter into that oneness, it's not just with him. We're all in it. So that oneness applies to the way in which we relate to each other as well as the way in which we relate to the Father and the Son. In fact, we all become sons, and I'm going to show you that. The other piece to know about this is this oneness is the thing that says that the world may know that you've sent me. The world will know who Jesus is and that he is the Son of God because of the demonstration of oneness amongst us. Not, not fundamentally because we're great at preaching or singing or feeding the poor. All of those things are important things, but they're not the thing that lets the world know that Jesus is actually the Son of God. Twice it says in here that they will know because of the oneness between us. And this was Jesus' final prayer. This is the summation. This is the totality of his message. This is that final thing he wanted to leave everybody with as he went to finish it. Now, when we look at oneness in this context, we see it in the context of a father and a son. Okay, ladies, I'm going to ask for your grace here so that I don't have to try and, you know, multi-gender absolutely everything I say here. Um, I'm going to say the words father and son a lot. But in this context, women, you can totally be fathers and you can totally be sons. Is there a Kleenex here? Yes, there is. Hold on. 
Okay, so otherwise it's just going to get really awkward really quickly here. Um, in fact, let me start with a question. Did you know that you are created in the image of God? Yeah? Okay, that's something we, we've learned. Let me, let me read Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and from here on in, Deidre, I will be using the NLT pretty much. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Here we go, 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Okay? So, first of all, we're all created in the image of God. Male and female is all part of the image of God. Okay? And, therefore, we can look at anything else that we're doing in terms of God as Father and recognize that we, created in his image, are to be able to emulate what he's, what he's patterning, what he's showing us. Okay? So, you're created in the image of God. Did you know that God is a father? How many of you know God is a father? God is the father of a son. Now, lots of them. That's, uh, that's something that any of us who've, who've been in church for any time at all have heard a million times. Uh, in fact, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father. In fact, many people call that prayer the Our Father. Okay? So we're, we're pretty clear on that, and I'm not going to belabor it. Did you know that God is a son? Just let that sink in for a minute. God is the son of a father. What? Yeah, he is. Hebrews 1. 1 to 4. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Now, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. Okay, so, whoa. So, the Son created the universe? So, the Son clearly is, is God, Right? We, we know this. Jesus is, is God. That is part of the, the Godhead. So God is a son of a father as well as being the father of a son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. The son sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. By the way, You've heard me do this before, and, and, and those of you who know me know that I'm a bit of a science geek. I, I, I like physics, whatever, and I, and I always laugh because, you know, I always love to do the little physics thing and say, it's so funny that we as, as, as humanity have the arrogance to think that we know so much about our universe when we actually know so little about absolutely anything at all. Um, you know, we, we talk about Earth-like planets hundreds of light years away, and this, that, and the other thing, and then you find out it's all little radio wave fluctuations on things, and, and it could be interpreted 800 different ways, but this is one way of interpreting it. Okay, that. So here we go. Watch this. What just happened there? Well, this thing called gravity. 
Oh, okay, what's that? Um, don't really know. I mean, we know how it works. We know we can measure its effect. We can predict what it's going to do. We, we understand it has a relationship somehow to mass and to speed and to time. But the end of the day, nope, we don't really know what it is. There's some theories around bending of space, but that doesn't really make any sense in how many dimensions would that happen in. And it's just really frustrating to be a physicist because, doggone it anyway, that just keeps happening. And we don't actually know why. Your chair is being held together right now because atoms are held together by something called the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force. And those things, we have no idea what they are. <laughs> Just none whatsoever. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Okay, my theory is God's holding it all together actively right now by the command of Jesus Christ. There you go. How about that? I just explained it all. The physicists can all go home and have a holiday. Now, when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. And then quoting Psalm 45, um, so the writer of Hebrews is now quoting Psalm 45 right here in the midst of, of, um, of Hebrews 1, verse 8. And he says, but to the Son, now this is God speaking, so God the Father is speaking. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, and yours forever and ever, you rule with a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O oh God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Okay. I, I, I wanted to just really make it clear here that God the Father calls the Son God. Okay? So God is not only a father. God is a son. And as we are being conformed into his likeness because we are created in the image of God, that means we are created in the image of fathers and sons. Does that make sense? Now, we'll see where that goes because that's just a fun little statement early on. Where does it go? People, I think, me included, have often had an odd view of God. We see God the Son as loving, kind, gentle, humble, merciful, accepting. And we see God the Father as tough, and judgmental, hard to get to know, law-keeping, rigid in dealing with sinners. Huh, but they're one. We read that whole oneness thing thing in John 17. Jesus himself says in John 5, verses 18 to 20, so the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Okay? So a son is equal to his father. He has the family name. He carries the family name. 
He reached the equality. In fact, there's a, there's a fun little fact I want to share with you because it, 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 it came uh, front and center for me this week as we celebrated my son's 30th birthday. Hey, hey. And it's an interesting thing because in Jewish culture, in Jesus' day, something significant happened on somebody's 30th birthday. The 30th birthday was the point at which, all of a sudden, uh, the son's word given in business was binding on the father. So, at, at, when did Jesus start his ministry, by the way? Oh, Jesus actually didn't do anything that we know of other than the, you know, the 12-year-old little deal um, in the temple. For those of you who don't know that one, you can look it up. Um, but he really didn't do anything... In ministry, he didn't start his ministry until his 30th. Because that was the point at which the son's word is binding on the father. The son is now equal to the father in business. Just think that through for a minute. What does that mean for what Jesus was doing? So take it easy, buddy. <laughs> now, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. Later in the chapter at verse 30, he goes on to say, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. So Jesus is modeling something about sonship here. Okay? True sons aren't busy doing their own thing. True sons are modeling the will of the Father. That's, a, that's an interesting point. So, we know that excuse me, God is a father and God is a son. We know that he's also more. But in terms of the oneness, oneness relationship... Because we can see it, that's the one we can, we can get a, a really good picture of. So I'm concentrating on that, on that relationship, okay, because the picture is clearer. God has always throughout eternity, always throughout eternity, been a father and a son. It's a core part of his nature. It's part of what makes him perfect and holy. If it were not so, he would not be God. And you are created in the image of God, so you're all created to be fathers and sons. So, ladies... You can, you, can, you can embrace that, right? So what does this mean in the context of church? So, you know, we, we, we talked about the five-fold ministry just at the beginning here, and Cam did a really great job of explaining it a couple weeks ago, giving us some real neat pictures. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say those are the how-to-until gifts. Okay, does that make sense? how until. This is what I want you to do until. These are the gifts I gave you to get to the place where we need to go. But I'm telling you that they are going to work most effectively in a structure of relating as fathers and sons. So how does that work? Well, let's, let's start by looking at how it actually works between the father and the sons in Scripture. Let's look not only at Jesus' words about it, but his actions because here's a cool thing. This kind of hit me when I was putting this down. 
We've got to look at his actions, not just his words, because we're not just his students, we're his followers. And I can tell you right now, if Chris got up and started walking, he said, hey, Jim, follow me. And I said, I hear you. You want me to follow you. And he's walking, yeah, follow me. And I go, yeah, got it. I understand. That's what you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not following. <laughs> so there is a, there's an action required um, in that following. So, <clears throat> um, so let's, let's talk about how, how does God the Father feel about his son? I'm going to do feel. Sorry, guys. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to stretch here and come along with me on feel, okay? Can we do it? How does the father feel about his... For those of you who are fathers, you understand feeling about your sons. So, the father loves the son deeply and passionately. In John 3, 35, it says he, he cherishes him above all. As far as the father's concerned, there's no one else like his son. He's the apple of his eye. He watches over him and holds him in tender embrace. Nothing is too good for his son. He entrusts all things to his son, as we read earlier, even all judgment. When it was necessary to choose a savior for mankind, and there was no man righteous, the father chose to send his son to embrace both human nature and a physical body. So prior to that, Jesus was the son He didn't have a physical body. And the Father chose to send him to redeem man from sin. Because you're going to figure out something back in that John 17 thing, which was, it says he loves us the same, with the same love that he loves the Son. Do you know that he loves you as much as he loves Jesus? For real. The Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's what it says in John 17. Whoa. Seriously? Like I'm not some little afterthought peon kind of ant on the earth scrabbling around that God says, yeah, those are people. People. I kind of created them. They're kind of all right. Yeah, I'm saving a bunch of them. It's all good. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He loves you personally as much as he loves Jesus. Um. Whew. And that's why he was willing to send Jesus to die to save you. As such, the fathers decided that everything is completed and achieved in his son. As far as the father's concerned, the son is so central to everything that unless man receives the son, he cannot come to the father. That's John fourteen six. Listen to what John the Baptist has to say. In John 3, so John chapter 3, which is the Apostle John writing about John the Baptist here and quoting him. So John the Baptist says about Jesus, For he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So, get the picture that the father thinks the son is pretty important? How does the son feel about the father? Well, he loves and respects and looks up to his father. He honors him in all things and above all things. 
He chooses to only live for his father. He came into the world in obedience to his father and lived his whole life in that same submitted obedience. And he was totally surrendered to the will of the father. John 6 Starting at 38 says, For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. John 14, 31. But I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. And John 5, 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. But the other neat thing that Jesus did is he always pointed everyone to the Father. Now, it's funny because for years I didn't read it that way because I often saw Jesus basically telling people to look at him. But then he goes on to say, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he's actively trying to point people at the Father all the time. Matthew five forty-eight. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's declaring who God is. Uh, John 14 um, this is one where it's kind of interesting because Thomas has just said, because Jesus said, I'm going somewhere where you can't follow. And Thomas says, well, where will you go? And, and whatever. And then Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus replies, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am? He just asked him to see the Father. And he's saying, What? You've been with me all this time and you don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. If I can't persuade you any other way, then look at the evidence, okay? He spent many hours in prayer. Oh, here we go. Just went through that so fast, and and that it impacts me so much because I've read it, you know, a number of times. I I really like the the Gospel of John, but he's saying here, um, the words that I speak, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who dwells in me does the work, and and that somehow escaped my notice for the longest time. It's like I not only speak what he says, but the work that I do is actually coming from the Father, the power, the authority, the effort. Like, it's, it's not even his effort. It's, and, and the Father backs up everything he does because he does it in the Father. So, I don't know. I, I just couldn't let that go because it's impacted me so deeply. So, back on how the son feel about the Father. He spent many hours in prayer through entire nights sometimes. He longed for the day he would return to his father in glory, as we saw right at the very top of John 17 there. Glorify me as, you know. At, at the end, everything gets completed in the Son. But when everything's been made subject to the Son, so God says, okay, everything is subject to you. You are now the, effectively the supreme ruler over all. What does Jesus do? Turns around and gives it all right back. Says here, Including himself, by the way. So in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at 24. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, does that include God himself who gave Christ his authority? Then, when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority, so that God who gave his Son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. So, you know, again, think about the heart of a son. All this now. I've, I've fought hard. I've subjected all this. I've beat all the enemies, even death. We've got it all. And now I'm just going to, I'm going to relax in it and let it serve me for a while. Nope. There's just none of that. It's the, and now, here, Dad. Look what I did for you. Because it's for him. And you can see it. You know, you can see that the, the child who's worked hard in the yard, it happens. And, 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 and then comes in and says, look what I did for you. And you just, wow, I'm buying you a car. <laughs> As we can see, the father and the son are completely devoted to each other, caring fully each for the other. There's no independence. There's no personal agendas. There's no private actions. And we are called into this oneness. 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm telling you, I'm calling you into that fellowship of oneness. That, that thing that says we can be family together. We can be fathers and sons together. Look, there, there are a million ways to get this wrong. We've all seen bad examples of sons and fathers. We've seen the lazy, disrespectful, rebellious sons. We've seen the self-centered, angry, distracted fathers. There's... Lots of ways to get stuff wrong, but I'll tell you, once again, <laughs> I will never lose this quote. You've all, you know, those of you who've been around have heard me say it before. For those of you who are new, hey, this will be your first time. It's good. Um, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. Got it? We don't refuse to move down the road because we might fall into one ditch or the other. We might as well be in the ditch if we're not moving. The reality is there's a path, there's a road, we could walk down it. And this fathers and sons thing, I'm, I'm, I'm walking into a revelation here in my own life that is at a whole new level about what it means to actually love you guys, to care about you at a level that's about you being my brothers and sisters, other sons. But there's a piece that some of us are going to be call, get calling into being fathers while we're all being sons, okay? Every one of us needs to position ourselves in sonship. And by the way, the next piece of this is all about what does that look like and how could that function in the church and what is this spirit of sonship thing of which you speak and all of that. So there's, there's more. This is just salting the oats a little bit. But the, the, the thing is that we need to be able to break through sort of these structural items 
um, e even around leaders and, and things where it's not about, this is not about positional leadership. We need to have positional leadership. Fair enough, there's stuff that needs to get done and stuff that needs to get organized and, and, and people need to be in charge of certain things and all that. That's fine. But I'm talking about a relational thing. And I believe in a church we can function together as fathers and sons. And um, there's pieces of that I'm still, you know, trying to work, work through to even understand how does that even look in, in you know, we have 300 people in the room. How does that look if we're all actually behaving towards each other in, in, in a way that, that implies that level of oneness together? Um, who's, who's scared stiff of that idea of oneness? You know, I don't even need to see hands, but um, I'm guaranteeing you there's a good number of us who ought to put them up. Um, you know, Kayleen said to me, I don't know if we know how to do family that well. And she's just talking about us. Okay? Um, so we're on a journey together, but um, it's going to be fabulous, and it's going to be a little scary um, because I think what we're going to need to be doing as a congregation is going to be far more relational than it's ever been. But I honestly believe that the vertical, our vertical relationship with God has been utterly limited by our lack of horizontal relationship. And, um, and so that's the message God's dropping into my heart. Like I say, this, was the, this is just the introduction. And I'm, I'm sorry that I couldn't go further, but it felt to me so important to, to really establish this, this concept of the Father and the Son and this concept of oneness first before we start talking about how it applies. So... It's already noon, so Christopher, are you going to come and sum up? Um, I believe it. So, Father, teach us how to truly walk with one another, not just in words, but that you would actually get a hold of our hearts and that our hearts would be fully committed to you and fully committed to one another, knowing that that is your hearts, that we would love one another, care for one another, hurt with one another, celebrate with one another, that we would do all things with one another. So God, guide our hearts when we're frustrated and angry at each other. Teach us how to have grace and forgiveness. Teach us how to truly love, as your word says in 1 Corinthians. So, God, I pray a blessing on each person in this room today as they go. Go with them. Guide them and lead them in everything they do. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.